Amen. All right. I've got some scriptures here I want us to go through. And I want to put the word in your heart before we go any further. One of the things that the Holy Spirit talked to me about this evening as I was praying is there are, there are several things that keep us from fully receiving what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And um, one of the major things that hinder us from fully engaging the Lord, walking in faith, and walking out the things that God has for us is fear. Okay, And so I've got some scriptures here I want us to look at. And as we go through these scriptures, I want you to see a common theme that runs through these scriptures. And I believe after we get through looking at these scriptures, I'm going to pray with you again. And I believe for us to be repositioned in our place of identity in the Father and also repositioned in our perspective of what's possible with us and why we can trust that we can move forward in the things that God tells us to do. Why can we can be confident in those things and at the same time receive everything that He has for us as we walk in those things. All right, so let's look at the first scripture here, Psalms 23.4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Okay, so here He says, I will fear no evil. And the reason why is because you're with me. Okay, so the very first thought is you're with me. But look at the second thought here. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, what do you think about when you think about a rod and a staff? Shepherd. Okay, a shepherd. And, and what does a rod and staff for a shepherd do? Okay, he uses, okay, he uses it to protect them. What else? To guide them. What else? Spare the rod, spoil the child. Well, in the same way, to correct, instruct, to lead. And this goes in with the guiding. What else? All right. It's they'd also he'd use it to pull them out of places where they wandered off. He would use the staff to pull them up out of those places. So he lifts you up. It's so he guides. But the main place is direct to lead, to protect, and to guide. Okay. To direct, to lead to protect and to guide. And I realize those three those three words direct lead and guide they're all they're all kind of synonymous of of the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. But look at the second part. It says your rod and your staff they comfort me and what is the Holy Spirit? He is our comforter, isn't he? And so he comforts us. Matter of fact, Jesus said, "Wait until what? The Holy Spirit, the comforter comes." Why? Because we need the Holy Spirit because if you think about it, we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death all the time. Right? The shadow of death is a place in the world. The world is engaged in godliness and lawlessness and sin. And so what is the world full of? The shadow of death. Not death itself, but the shadow of death. Why? Because the shadow of death is hovering over all those who are disconnected from the Lord and are walking in disobedience. And so we're walking in the world. We're not of the world. We're in the shadow of death. But what does he say here? He says, I will fear no evil. We don't have to be afraid of the evil that's going on in the world. We don't have to be afraid of the sin that's affecting the world and bringing them into a place of destruction. Why? We don't have to fear that. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's good, isn't it? Look at Psalms 27.1. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? So it says here very clearly, The Lord is my light. Now what's, 
what is what makes things twice as scary? Dark, exactly. When you can't see what's right in front of you. I mean, every every horror film, what is it that they put it in? It's always in the middle of the night, isn't it? You never see a horror film in the middle of the day, and they're walking out there in daylight out in the field with the sun shining, do you? Yeah, it'd be super lame. Why? Because nobody gets afraid out there in the middle of the light, because you can see everything. You can see what's coming. You can see all around you. When you can't see is when things get scary. And just think that, take that application even to your own life. When I don't know which direction I'm going in, when I'm not sure exactly what to do in the situation, when I'm struggling with the fact that I don't know what all is around me or what's going on, why do I feel this way, why is things happening like this, when that type of thing begins to happen in your heart and in your mind, what happens? Immediately the opportunity for fear arises for you to go, oh no, and begin to respond to what you can't see. But it says here very clearly that the Lord is my light. And He is what? My salvation. He's the one who brings... He not only saves me, meaning He rescues me, but what does He do? He makes me whole. He heals me. He delivers me. He forgives and washes me. This is the totality of salvation. That the Lord is my light, so I can see... And he also is the one who delivers, rescues, saves me. Okay? So what does he respond to? Whom shall I fear? Why would I be afraid of anybody? If the Lord, he's the light, and he's the one who delivers, saves me, sets me free. Whom shall I fear? Look what the next line says. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And stronghold is a fortified city. That is impenetrable, and there is a stronghold has a strong man inside. The Lord Himself, He is a walled city that we can run into. Another psalm says that He's our high tower, He's our place of refuge that we can run into. The Lord protects us and guards us. When we find ourselves in the dark, needing rescue, and that can be not just literally, physically, but it can be emotionally, spiritually, um, Mentally, we can be in a place, um, even in our in our body, as far as physically feeling the overwhelming things. I can remember very clearly when I was extremely sick and just saying, Lord, I trust you. I look to you. And in that place where things were getting dark, all these reports from the doctor were not good. My physical body was failing. You know, there was the, the matter of I just had to, I had to lay that down and say, Lord, I trust you. And in that moment, every time I did that, every time I said, Lord, I trust you, I look to you, it was as if boom, walls came up, light flooded in, and the peace and the protection of God began to secure my heart and my mind to the reality that my salvation was in the Lord. And that moment that it took place, all fear vanished. Even though all the symptoms didn't change, the fear vanished. Why? Because even when I went into the hospital and had to have surgery and stuff, there was no fear. There was a place of peace, rest, security, because I had been crying out to the Lord as my salvation, as the one in whom I trust. And in that place, what did it do? It secured my heart from fear. It said, he says, of whom shall I be afraid? In the first part, he says, whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And that's a real good question to ask yourself. When you begin to, when you begin to say, Lord, I trust you, 
put the Lord up here, begin to magnify who the Lord is. Now, then say, now who, who can even compare? Why, who, who should I be even afraid of? What should I be afraid of? The Lord's up here, and this is really who he is. And I begin to magnify who he is, the creator of the universe, all-powerful, all-knowing, the sovereign God of all creation, the judge of all the earth, who has been and who is and who forever will be. And I begin to magnify his greatness, his goodness, his love for me. Now, who can compare? Who can even come close? And, and, and then, then the question is, who should I be afraid of? What should I be afraid of? I right, look at the next one. It says, Psalms 118, 6, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So again, he declares that he doesn't have to be afraid. Why? Because God is with him. You'll see this theme throughout almost every one of these scriptures. When he tells us don't be afraid, usually the, there is the tag before or right after. Why? Because I am with you. Listen, if God before you, who can be against you? you got to understand, Jesus walked on the scene. God was with him. God was for him. They couldn't even touch him until he gave them permission to say, here I am. They came to arrest him. They came to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. They come up to him. They approach him to arrest him, and they announce, you know, are you Jesus? And he says, I am. And he declares the Hebrew word, I am. And the moment he declares it, the power of God resonates through the entire garden. Everyone falls prostrate. They don't have no strength or power to even stand up when he declares just who he is. Just in the declaration of who he is, they can't even stand in his presence. The earth itself responds and shakes and everything in creation falls and bows. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus. And so when we have Jesus living on the inside of us, man, who, who are we afraid of? He had to actually, he actually had to empower them to stand up to even take him in. He had to give them permission to stand up. Can you imagine? He even said on the cross, what? He said at any moment he could have called a legion of angels, two legions of angels to come in and pull him off the, the cross. He could have done it at any moment. He, in other words, they didn't take his life, he gave his life. He made it abundantly clear. Even before Pilate, you saw no response of fear, not even a need to defend himself, was there? Why? Why do you have to defend yourself if you have all power and all authority? You don't have to, do you? When we're in Christ, do we have to defend ourselves? No. Actually, a lot of times when we try to defend ourselves, it's rooted in some form of fear. It's rooted in some place of insecurity where we are not fully recognizing who God is in us and with us. He says here, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Look at the next one, 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And so instead of fear, what does He give us? Listen to these three things that He gives us. A spirit of power. Power. Wonder-working power. He gives us power, authority, dominion. Think about it this way. 
when I go when I go hunting, there's not a thought in my head of I'm scared of that deer. Now, can deer hurt you? Absolutely. You get around a deer. I mean, you could you could get hurt if you walk up on a deer. But sitting in my tree stand, watching that deer come in, I've got this high-powered rifle. All right, it's powerful. I know one shot. Even if I miss him some, it's going to knock him down. It's literally going to knock him down because it's that powerful. Okay, now that's a that's a that's a very um, limited metaphor in comparison. To us with the Lord. There are all kinds of things in the world. There are things to be afraid of. Yeah, there are things that can cause you to be afraid. But when we recognize he's not given us that spirit, he's actually given us the spirit of power. When we go back to that place and look at what makes us afraid with a spirit of power. Now, all of a sudden, what could have intimidated us before or scared us before. All of a sudden, the whole thing changes now. When you have all the power in the universe backing you. What does it say? It says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside you. So there's resurrection, creative power dwelling in your being. This is really important for you to understand because one of the things that calls us to be afraid, it's the what if syndrome, you know, is what if this happened? And ultimately, the what-if syndrome leads us to death. What if something dies? Well, he answered that when he put that spirit in us, that spirit of power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, resurrection power. So what if if something dies? So what? you got resurrection power in you. In other words, Jesus came and defeated death, hell, and the grave, which are the three things that torment us and cause us to be afraid. He destroyed death, hell, and the grave and gave us the keys. He gave us authority and power. He gave us the spirit of power. So why are we afraid? Do we not believe in the power that He gave us? Are we not confident in who He is in us? Or are we more confident in what we see out here? When we become more confident in what we see out here than in who He is in here, Fear begins to have his way. Do you have a question? Oh, no. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were... The next part is, he's given us a spirit of power and of love. All right? And this is really important because you'll just stop right there and just look down to... um, Let's see. Flip over on your page real quick. And I'll just throw this scripture out here. Uh, 1 John 4.18. It says, "There There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear... Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who is, excuse me, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. A couple things in that scripture, and then we'll jump back to the other one, is there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. What does it say here? But perfect love, this word perfect is when something's able to run its full course. Mature, developed, in other words, a process. Okay? And I want you, I want you to understand this because just knowing somebody loves you is not enough to drive out fear. You can know that grandma loves me, but I still can be afraid at grandma's house. Okay? Are you following me? But when we're let the love of God run its full course, 
You know what it does? It causes us to understand that love and to see the power of that love and to recognize the fullness of that love. When we're talking about the love of God, we begin to understand and comprehend, as all saints should, as Ephesians 3 says, we begin to comprehend and understand the depth, the width, the height, the length of the love of God. What's that? That is that is literally um, dimensions of a building. Okay, so there is a there is a understanding of there is a place that love can house you in. It goes back to stronghold, right? Remember what we read there in Psalms that He is a stronghold that we can run into. When we begin to understand the love of God, we begin to, as Ephesians 3 declares, we begin to comprehend what that stronghold looks like. In other words, what that love does for you. It's not enough that you know God loves you, but you need to comprehend and understand, as all saints should, what that love means. And it's it's not enough that you can understand it just simply from a knowledge standpoint. You have to experience it. So it's not enough just to tell yourself that God loves you. It's not enough for you even to hear other people tell you God loves you. You've got to engage that love and let that place of intimacy begin to fortify your heart to understand that I, who, who do I need to be afraid of? He's with me. Look at his power. Look at his protection. Look at his goodness. In other words, it begins to form a bubble of security around you and so no matter what you face you're like the bubble boy you know you've seen the the movies the guy's walking around and he's got this big bubble around him and he can run into stuff boom he bounces off it doesn't matter how how yeah no germs he's not afraid of infection he's not afraid of attack i mean people shooting at him and boom the bullets are bouncing off he's he's bubble boy well in the love of god when we let it run its full course in us it completely surrounds our heart and our mind and it causes us to realize the magnitude and the bigness of who god is towards us and for us Romans says it this way at the end of the chapter, I mean the end of the, near the end of the book. It says if God did not withhold his son, his precious, loved, prized, most valuable thing in all creation, if he did not withhold his son for you, what would he withhold? And what he's pointing to is the fact if God loves you that much, why would we have thoughts contrary to the reality that he would be with us? He would watch over us, He would lead and guide us, and He would protect us. When we allow love to run its full course, what does it do? It eradicates the place that fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, unbelief, where those things try to to rest in our hearts and torment us. And the next part here is it says, and, and that place is because fear has to do with punishment. When we recognize that He paid the price for us, And when we are found in Him, that there's no more punishment in that, that He forgave us, He cleanses us of all unrighteousness, and He purifies us. There's no more fear of I'm living in a place of being punished. Why? Because I'm living now in a place of His love. I'm living in a place of intimacy with Him. Think about it this way. When we are walking in a close, intimate relationship with the Lord, in other words, we're spending time with Him, we're being transparent with Him, we're continually confessing our hearts and sin to Him, continually allowing Him to transform, renew our lives. In that place, what's there? There's no fear of punishment, is there? But think about it this way. When we're not living in that place of intimacy with the Lord, 
when we've walked away from His presence, what immediately begins to take place in your heart? You get anxious. You get fear. When things do happen bad in your life, you think about, oh, man, I probably did something that, that deserved this, or I'm doing something that's opened the door for this. You begin to begin to really recalibrate and think about it, don't you? Matter of fact, it, when more bad, worse and worse stuff happens, it'll drive you to that back to that place of intimacy, won't it? And say, oh God, help me. David had this experience many times, didn't he? Where he was out there and all hell broke loose all around him. I mean, King Saul was trying to kill him. All, all this stuff was happening. What did it do? It drove him back to the presence of God. If you go back and read Psalms 119 where he talks about the Word and the instructions of God, there are several places where he he um, talks about that it, he was driven back to that place to study the Word of God, be, let the Word get in his heart and coming out of his mouth, let the laws of God and the instructions of God, the correction of God to for, reforge his heart so that he would obey God and follow God. You see, the place of intimacy of spending time in perfect love run its course in us. You know what it produces? Obedience. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. In that place, there's no fear of punishment, is there? Look at what he says here. In, um, where was it at? It's in Peter. Or just look at the verse right above that. It says in 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14, it says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Who's going to harm you if you're eager? To, in other words, you're living an obedient lifestyle. Look what it says next. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. It says, do not fear what they fear and do not be frightened. In other words, he says, when we live in a place of obedience to do what God wants us to do, to do, to respond the way he says, to live the way he says, we don't have to be afraid. But even if, even if in that place of obedience, something comes against you, don't fear like those people fear. Don't fear like those people that don't have a relationship with the Lord. He said, that, that shouldn't have any part in you. Why? Because he says, you are blessed. Hear me now. I want you to really grasp this because this is, this is a major point that can eradicate the foundation that fear builds on in our hearts. If something happens in our lives and we're in a place of following the Lord, our hearts are clear before Him, and we're saying yes and amen to what He's desiring us to do, even if something negative happens in our lives. What does He say? You're blessed. What does blessed mean? You're prospered to succeed. You're prospered to succeed. So, so watch this. When the enemy steps in and does something, what's the Lord doing? He's prospering you to succeed. He's giving you something to step onto. Because well, the enemy is supposed to be under your feet, right? The enemy is not equal with you. The enemy doesn't have power over you. He doesn't have authority over you. He doesn't have the right or privilege to do things in your life. But if the enemy or something negative happens in your life, you don't have to be afraid. We don't have to respond to that. It actually is a stepping stool for you to prosper, to succeed in the things that God wants you to do. He says it very clearly. If I'm eager to do good, to obey the Lord, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are what? Blessed. Do not fear what they fear. You got a different perspective. You got a different understanding. Do not be frightened. Isn't that good? Alright, so he's given us a spirit of power. Back to 2 Timothy 1.7. He's given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love. What else has he given us here? A spirit of self-discipline. This is one we don't like to talk about. 
Why? Because we oftentimes want to be victims of what makes us afraid. We don't say that. So we don't say that out loud. We don't uh, consciously say, oh, yeah, I want to be a victim to what's afraid. But there are many times that it is easier to 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 lay myself in that place of victimhood to what I'm afraid of than to stand up and be victorious. It becomes our normal. It becomes what I'm used to. And it becomes a lazy way out. Let's talk about this for just a second, because this oftentimes is. um People will say, oh, I want freedom in this area. And then when we go to pray with them, you feel the presence of God. You see God wanting to do something and they keep going back to that place. And it's like, why in the world, if that place is a place of torment or a place of hardship, why would you keep going back to that place of fear and anxiety? And here's the thing. People live in that place so much it becomes their normal. They're comfortable. In other words, they find security in what is uncomfortable and unnatural. And it's easier to live there and blame the thing that I'm afraid of than to become responsible and rise above it. And so instead, I then say, it's just too hard. And I back away. But see, he's given us a spirit of self-discipline to declare to self, self, get up. Self, rise above this. Self, you are not a victim of this. You control your life. You control what's in your heart and what's in your mind. You are not controlled by the things out there. You're not a victim. You're called to live in victory. The Bible declares that even now our faith causes us to be victorious in all things. It causes us to become overcomers against everything in life. And so instead of fear, God's given us a spirit of self-discipline. And what's a disciple? It's a disciplined one, right? It's a disciplined one. If you'll notice, Jesus, for sure, He corrected them, rebuked them, discipled them, right? But they also had to choose to do it too, didn't they? They had to choose to follow Him. They had to choose to count the cost. They had to choose to to go where He said go and do what He said do. They had to self-discipline themselves because here's here's the reality. Ain't nobody can govern you to get you to do what you're supposed to do. You have to choose to do it yourself. You have to choose to do it yourself. Even to the degree of someone put a gun to your head, you still have the choice whether you're going to do it or not. Now, most people have not live are not living in this place of the first two power and love and so therefore they have no self discipline because once i understand the place of power then i don't then i'm not under that victim mentality once i understand that place of his love and letting it run its full course then i'm not trying to do things in my own ability i'm trying to do it in him i'm not trying to figure out things i'm leaning on his wisdom i'm not trying to get out there and and be somebody i become confident in who I am in Him, in that place of intimacy, and in that place, self-discipline comes naturally. It becomes a place, it becomes the outflow of our place of intimacy and understanding the love and power of God in our lives. So what does it say? Let's go read it in context again. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Wow. That's really, really good, isn't it? Look what it says here in the next verse in Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, Be strong and courageous. 
Strong, those are good words, aren't they? Strong and courageous. God is giving you permission to be strong. Now, what will that, what will fear do? It'll, it'll tell you you're weak. What will fear do? It'll tell you that you can't do it. Fear, fear will tell you you're a failure. Fear will tell you you're a loser. Fear will tell you that it's impossible. Fear will tell you that you need to run away or fight or do something. You know, you need to get out of the way. Not be who you're supposed to be. But it says here, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you, and He will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, the fact that not only is He with you, you know, it's, it's one thing to be with the Lord today, but tomorrow you can question, okay, are you really with me? Here it makes it abundantly clear. Not only is the Lord going with you, but He will never leave you no matter what the circumstances look like, and He will never forsake you. That right there is reason why you don't have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. It says in the next verse there, First Chronicles um, twenty-eight twenty. It says David also said to Solomon his son, "Be strong and courageous." Oh, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> be strong and courageous. Isn't that what he told Joshua to be strong and courageous? In Joshua one eight, he says, um, "Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do the work." Do the work. You know, one of the things, the object of fear is to keep you from doing the work that God created you to do. You were created for good works in Christ Jesus. You were created to do amazing things in the earth. You were created to change your generation and to change the nations. You were designed to bring what was in heaven into the earth. But fear will keep you from doing that work. Fear will lock you up and it will uh, it will alienate from your divine purpose and the divine plan of God for your life. But he says here, be strong and courageous. You, you know, you have, to, you have to strengthen yourself. You know, the Bible says that David, that David strengthened himself. He encouraged himself. He filled himself up with courage. You know how he did it? He meditated on who God was. He meditated on the greatness of God. He meditated on the Word of God. He poured over it day and night. He built on that place. And I was, when he was a young man and he was out in the, in the fields with his father's sheep, what did he do? He meditated on the Word of God. He meditated on who God was. And he actually stepped out and did the work. What was the work? The work was to, to guard those sheep, to watch over those sheep, to make sure the sheep didn't go where they were supposed to, and make sure nothing got the sheep. Grabbed the lion by the beard. What did he do? Yeah, he killed the lion and he killed the bear. The two things that were out in the wilderness to to be afraid of, the two biggest predators in all the land, what did he do? He faced it without fear. And how did he do that? He did the work because he was meditating on the Word of God. He was declaring who God was. He was worshiping the Lord and living in that place of His presence. And so he he had, instead of a spirit of fear, he had a spirit of power. He, He killed it with his bare hands. Okay, can you imagine a bear coming up? He'd be like, oh, you, know, you can have one of them lambs. Go ahead, take one and go on. <laughs> he was so empowered in his place, so fortified in his heart, so empowered, so courageous because of that place of intimacy with the Lord. He was secure in the love of God. He was secure in that. But he was also willing to do the work. You know, one of the biggest things that will keep you from doing work is the fear of failure. Well, I'm not going to start because 
I just hate to start and not finish. Let's keep reading because he's going to say, talk about this. He says, Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. David's declaring the same God that's been with me. He's with you, Solomon. He's with you and he will not fail you or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. In other words, he's going to help you finish the race. I love what Hebrews declares. It says Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the beginning and he's the end. One of the biggest things to conquer that fear of failure is that realization that when I put myself in God's hands, he empowers me and helps me not only to do the work. When I step out, when I am self-disciplined, when I walk in power, when I walk in his love, he helps me finish the work as well. There have been a lot of tasks that I've picked up that I thought, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is way above my pay grade. And and honestly, stepping out to do it, I mean, I am very humbled because I know I'm an idiot compared to what I need to know. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been in that boat? Am I the only one? I'm in that boat a lot, actually. I find myself in places... Things the Lord puts before me that are impossible. Matter of fact, anything that God's called you to do is going to be outside of what you think. It's going to be beyond what you are capable of. Okay? Why? Why does God put us in those situations? He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to begin to behold the power of His glory being at work in and through our lives. And that way when you get through with that and you see the finished result, you go, I was not that good. I was not that smart. I was not that capable. That had to be God. And what does it do? With every, every time that we walk with the Lord and get empowered by God and we walk through the stuff that's impossible, what do we have on the other side? A testimony. How was David able to kill Goliath? Because he had stepped out and did the impossible with the bear and with the lion. Matter of fact, he declared that testimony as he was approaching Goliath. He said, well, I killed the bear and I've killed the lion. Now, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy God? And he went and got five stones, one for Goliath and four more for the the other four brothers of Goliath. He wasn't carrying spare ammunition because he thought he was going to miss the first time. He got one stone for every one of those giants. Now, he killed one and it encouraged and empowered the rest and the army ran after and killed the rest. There's something about when we walk in authority and power and love and self-discipline and do the work, step out and do it, inspires others too. Courage creates others to be encouraged. When you step out in courage, it causes others to get filled with courage. When they watch you step out and do the impossible. It's not, and it's not a testimony of your greatness, it's a testimony of His. When we, do, when we humble ourselves and give glory and honor to the Lord... What happens? The Bible says He gives grace to the humble. But what does He do with the proud? He rejects the proud. He resists the proud. When we think we can do it by ourselves and we don't engage the Lord, what happens? What does is, what is the Proverbs declare? What comes before a fall? Haughty spirit. A haughty spirit. A spirit of arrogance and pride. 
you don't have to worry about falling if you humbly submit to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going after it. Humility is not a place of weakness. Humility is a place of coming up underneath the Lord and receiving supernatural strength. So much strength that humility is actually a a description of you having to restrain your strength. In other words, when you submit to God in humility and say, God, here I am, you get so much power that you have to watch yourself. You get so much strength that you have to restrain it. You can't just, because stuff will happen all over the place. I mean, I'm serious. You got to watch your words. You got to watch how you do things because you carry so much power and authority when you're walking in humility and truly in that place of his love, truly in that place of surrender to him. There's so much strength that you have to actually clothe yourself with humility to restrain it from bursting out. What did I, what did Moses have to do with a, with a inferior glory? According to the New Testament, he had to put a veil in his face just to be around people. Listen, the Lord has called us to live in His glory and to release His glory on the earth. And if we'll begin to walk in humility and live in this place, we will be strengthened in our inner man and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we got to watch ourselves. I'll never forget, I was standing right there on the backside of that, um, whatever you call it, sound, sound board area. And um, it was I was just personal prayer time here in the church. I don't think nobody else was here. And I was standing there and, and, and the Lord just spoke to me out of the blue. I was just worshiping him, magnifying him. And he said this to me. I mean, it was so loud. It was so, it resonated so deep in my spirit, in my heart. He said, anything you ask me right now, I'll give it to you. Dude, I'm going to tell you what, I put the fear of God in me. I sat there for an hour, didn't ask a thing because I was trying to figure out what in the world is he would. And, and, it, and, and honestly, I, I, I declare, I think I went stupid for an hour. I mean, it, it hit me, the revelation of what he spoke to me in that moment, that anything I ask of him or in that moment I could have. Well, that's a scriptural truth. Is there things you ask? He says it many, many times, doesn't he? Is there things you ask when you pray? What did he say? I'll give it to you. Yet I've read that scripture many times, taught on that scripture many times. But in that moment, in his presence, in that place of intimacy, when he spoke it, there was so much power. There was so much. It was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What are the implications of what I'm asking for? I had had to stop. I mean, I was praying for wisdom there in that place. There were some specific things that I asked the Lord, and the Lord has um, done those things as well. But I found myself, some of the stuff that had been collecting in my mind, thoughts, ideas, anxieties, fears, I found myself in that place. I no longer was even worried about those things. I wasn't even asking God to do anything about that. In that place of power, those weren't even a thought anymore. My mind went straight over those things and went in a totally different place. When you got all authority and power backing you, you're not thinking about just that simple, trivial stuff that just so easily trips you up. You're thinking on a much grander scale all of a sudden. I wasn't thinking about what we needed to do to, say, get out of personal debt or to see a specific family member saved. I was thinking, man, that's, that's, God's going to do that. That's simple. 
I began to think about how do I get nations out of debt and how do I get entire nations saved? I mean, it, it jumped beyond, exponentially beyond where my simple faith was when the revelation of the authority and power and goodness of God, the strength of God, when it was revealed in my heart in that place of intimacy, immediately my request got bigger than what I could even think or ask. God wants us to live in that place. He said, I will never fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Look at Psalms 56, 3 and 4. Here's another one. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. So what's the answer for when I'm afraid? Putting your trust in God. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal men do to me? And so he describes, what does that look like when you put your trust in the Lord? What do you do? In God, whose word I praise. In other words, I begin to praise is to exalt, to lift up. I begin to lift up before God His word. I begin to remind Him of what He said. I begin to declare what He said. I begin to exalt and, and lift up His word above everything else. Worry, worry is when I begin to lift up a word of another and begin to declare and, and exalt it above what God says. Worry is to, to, it is the, it is the hope in the things I fear. That's exactly what worry is. Just like the earnest expectation of good. That's what hope is. Biblical hope is. The earnest expectation of good. And hope comes from the word of God, the promises of God. Or worry is the earnest expectation of the bad, and it comes from from the word or the report in the earth. It comes from those things around us that we see and hear and begin to collect with our five physical senses. And worry is to live in that place of meditation on that which you're afraid of. It is to empower fear to grow to such a capacity that you actually hurry on and bring about the manifestation of the word that you were scared of. When we operate in worry, we are walking or operating in a in a spiritual force that works in both directions. Hope is worry in the right way. It's the is, is expectation for the good, whereas worry is, is in the in the negative way and gives empowers the enemy to manifest what he's desiring to do in our lives. When we operate in worry, we invite another spirit besides the Holy Spirit to help us manifest what that spirit wants to do. That's called a spirit of fear. When we operate in biblical hope, what happens? We invite the Holy Spirit to come in and help manifest. And when we, when we come to the place of fully believing... In other words, when worry has run its full course in our lives, the full effect is fear. And fear is, is, is faith in what the enemy says. Whereas when hope is manifest, faith is the substance of things hoped for. And what does it do? It brings about the manifestation of what's in the kingdom. There are all kinds of things in the invisible realm around us. The Spirit is more 
real than what we can see and touch in the natural. Okay? Everything you can see and touch and feel in the natural is temporary and subject to change. There is an undercurrent of spirit that is the foundation for everything you see. I mean, everything you see here is a result of the things in the spirit. Matter of fact, everything in this room, everything in your natural physical body is literally being held together by the power of his command. Now, the enemy wants to use the power of his command to empower his desire. Here's the problem, though. The enemy has been stripped of all authority and power and glory. When he, when he, when the enemy was defeated on the cross, he was stripped of that. And so what does he have to do? He has to connect himself to you and utilize the authority and power you've been given in the earth because, because God has given men authority in the earth. Matter of fact, the reason the devil had authority to begin with in the earth was because Adam gave him his authority when he submitted and obeyed the devil instead of submitting and obeying God. He joined his spirit with Satan's and gave way in his actions as well as in his words to the, to, to produce the fruit of the enemy's desire. You, you remember, you're a spirit first. You have a soul, a mind, will, and emotions, and you live in a body. Your spirit was created to be in union with another spirit, specifically the God, God, the Lord of hosts. The Holy Spirit. You were created to be in union with Him. To be one with Him. To walk in such divine communion and intimacy that, that nothing could pull you apart. And yet when Adam, Adam sinned and rejected that union, he became opened to connect to another spirit. And when he did, what happened? He opened the door, as, as we read in Romans and in Hebrews, He opened the door for what? For all our days to live in fear and torment. Why? Because now what? Death is hovering all over the earth. We live in that place of captivity and bondage. But Jesus came and set us free. And so, when we begin to operate in faith, and faith is what? Faith is believing, trusting, relying, depending, submitting to, acting on the will and word of God. When we live in that place of faith, you know what we're doing? That, remember, you got to remember, he says that place is, is a pleasing place. It brings God. In other words, when you operate in faith, it brings great pleasure to the Lord. In other words, when we operate in faith, it's not enough for us to just sing praises to God in a worship, in a worship set. It's not enough just for us to even say the right things around the right people. It's not enough just to, 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 to repeat what everybody else is saying. But when we operate in faith, meaning we say what God says, we believe what God says, and we act on what God says, the Bible declares it brings Him pleasure. In other words, when we engage in faith, it's like an act of intimacy. You're actually bringing pleasure to the Father. As the bride of Christ, we become the place of bringing pleasure to Him when we operate. What did Jesus say? He said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? He said, will I find faith in the earth? 
Jesus is looking for those who will be filled with faith, who trust in our God. It says here, going back to the verse, when I'm afraid, I will do what? My response to fear is I will trust in you. He refocuses it back to God and says, God, I trust you. When I feel fear rising, when I feel things coming against me, what does he do? He refocuses his attention and puts his trust in, Lord, I trust you. Then he does what? He says, in God, whose word I praise. So he begins to exalt the word of God and begin to praise him for that word. In God, I trust. I will not be afraid. And then the, the last declaration is, what can mortal men do to me? That becomes, that becomes the thought. And it's a rhetorical question. It's not a question like, oh, what could they do? And they, then he goes down the list of what they could do. It's a rhetorical question in the fact of, because I put my trust in God, because I've exalted His Word above everything else, His Word is life, it's power, it's truth. What can I be afraid of? What can mere men do to me? Think about all the situations that you faced. You've gone through the list of what could happen, haven't you? Haven't you? We all have. We've all gone through the list of what, how this is going to transpire. How many times have we stopped the cycle of going through the list of what people could do? All the questions of how it could turn out. That's where worry begins to set in and fear begins to grip us. And what if instead, when fear comes knocking at the door, trying to invite us into its place of intimacy with that spirit, instead we say, Lord, I put my trust in you, my confidence in you, my dependence on you, and you begin to sing praises to his word. You begin to sing praises to God. You begin to declare who He is. In that place, instead of responding to fear, you begin to worship God. You begin to honor God. You begin to lift up your voice in line with His Word. You begin to exalt it above what you see, what you hear, what you think, what other people are saying. You begin to exalt it and you begin to declare your trust in that Word, in His promises, in His goodness, in His ability. Then, of course, the question will be, Man, what, what in the world, what can men do to me? Well, I mean, really, what can they do? If God be for you, who can be against you? Isn't that good? It says here in um, Isaiah 41.10, it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Again, very clear. Why, don't we, why not fear? Because I am with you. He says, Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will listen to these things that he promises he will do. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And of course, we, we, in our study with our John Bevere series, he showed us how the, the hand of God, he's talking about the Holy Spirit there. In other words, the righteous right hand, meaning the Holy Spirit who's right. He's always right. You can bank on it. The Holy Spirit is 100% right all the time. He has all knowledge, all power, all authority. And he, he, he knows it all. He's never wrong. Can you trust somebody who's never wrong? Absolutely. No, they'll never lie. He's always right. 
He always knows, has all the information. He got more information than you could ever imagine. He knows the mind of God, the intent of God, the desires of God, the plan of God. He knows how to get there. He knows how to get you there in one piece, whole and victorious. Overcoming. He says here very clearly, I will strengthen you and help you and I will uphold you. That kind of sounds like our rod and staff thing again, doesn't it? So because of that, I do not have to be afraid. Isaiah 41, 13 says, For I am the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. It kind of gives me the picture of, of me with my kids, you know. They're still little. I, I'm strong enough, I can get them wherever they need to go. I can pick them up, sling them, throw them, carry them, run with them. You know, there is a, there is a security and knowing Daddy's right there with them. Doesn't matter where. I mean, we could be on the edge of the building. I can hold them off the edge and strong enough to hold them. It doesn't matter. There is a confidence that they have in my strength. Now, my strength is limited, but God's never is, is it? And so, when the Bible says He will grab your hand, who's going to rip you from God's hand? You got to remember, the Bible declares that His hand He can measure the entire universe between His thumb and His pinky finger. He can measure it. Do you know the universe is, is still expanding at the speed of light in all directions right now? It's so large that just for us to get to the other side, to another galaxy at the speed of light, it would take something like 500 light years. You couldn't even get there. You couldn't even get there. Not in your lifetime. And that's one of millions of galaxies. When the Bible says you cannot outrun, when God, he said, the Bible says that he, you're in the palm of his hand, you can't outrun him. Can you go to the outer ends of the universe? No, you can't even get to the next galaxy, much less the outer rims of the universe. And he says that my hand grabs you. I mean, I want you to get a picture of that. The bigness and the magnitude of God. He says, I will take hold of your right hand. Do not fear. I will help you. I hope something should be happening as you're hearing the Word of God. Something should be taking place of the magnitude, the bigness of God. You should feel something, things getting dislodged in your heart, in your thinking. Things that you may have walked in here with, you're, you're sensing, oh, wait a second. God's with me. What should I be afraid of? Look at the next verse there, Isaiah 54 and 4. It says, do not be afraid. I love this. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and you will remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Here's a prophetic word to the nation of Israel. A prophetic word that said to them, listen, the shame of your past, I'm going to redeem you. He says, listen. He says, the disgrace that you once had, you won't be humiliated by that anymore. Why? The blood of Jesus is going to come in and cover you. It was, a, it was a prophetic word of the foreshadowing of what would take place with the blood of Jesus. When it comes in, it would remove the shame. It would remove the disgrace. It would remove the past iniquity. And it would bring you into a place purer than the driven snow. That's a good place. That's a good place. So do not fear. Do not fear. 
Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. And you will not receive reproach from the Lord. Look at the next one, Matthew 10, 28. Listen to this one. This is speaking to the fear of the Lord. It says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So he's here talking about the fear of the Lord. Look over, flip over on the back page there on Psalms 115 and 11. It says, You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. In other words, he, he basically makes the fear of God and trusting in God synonymous. Those who fear in the Lord, they trust in God. And what was Jesus saying here? Listen, you don't be, don't be afraid of those people that could kill your body. There's nothing to be afraid of there. But what you should fear, what you should fear is the one who can, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. There should be this healthy fear of the Lord, this trust in God, a dependence in Him. Why? It says here very clearly in Psalms 115.11, He is their help and shield. He is their help and shield. Listen, if you're in a battle, I mean, I realize they didn't have guns back then and stuff, you know, but what was the thing that they could do? They could throw spears, they could shoot arrows. And so the shield was really important. And the shields were huge. I mean, the shields were usually body length high. They would carry those things in and walk. And what were they going to do? Like riot shields today. You ever seen those? those? Those bulletproof riot shields that they carry in when they're having riots and stuff? And so he is both your help and your shield. Look, if you, if you, have, if you were in the middle of, of a war, Bullets are riddling everywhere. I mean, bombs are blowing up. Not only do you want help, somebody dragging you out there, but you want some protection, getting your butt out of the out of the firing line, right? He says very clearly, "I am your help and your shield." Look right here in um, the next verse, right there below it, Psalms one twelve one. It says, "Praise the Lord." What does that word praise? Exalt, lift up, magnify the Lord. Blessed. He is, he is, um, blessed. He's prospered to succeed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delights in his command. Now listen to the language here. He finds great delight in the commands. Now, I don't know about you, but for me with my kids, I find it exhilarating when I tell my children go clean your room and they go say, yes, daddy, and they run in there and clean it up. You know what I'm thinking of? Buddy, I'm about to give them a great reward. I'm, I'm looking for ways to bless them. I'm looking for ways to help them, to do something special for them. I'm thinking about, man, this weekend we're going to do something fun. You know, I, the, my mind immediately, when I see that eagerness and that delight in obeying what I ask of them, you know what it does inside of me as a father? It says, bless God. I want to bless them. I want to love them. I want to show Not that my love grows for them, but my pleasure in what they do increases. You've got to remember, it's impossible to please God without faith. James made it very clear. Faith is not just simply a belief system. There has to be corresponding acts of obedience to make it real, to make it alive. Yes? Uh, uh, I was talking to uh, Josiah's dad one day, and he was telling me uh, a lot of people believe a lie about um, the favor of 
you know, we say God's love is unconditional, uh-huh. but a lot of people think that His favor is unconditional. Yeah. Without, you know, there is conditions. Absolutely. To His favor, so, uh, you know, that, I guess in, in a sense, thinking that both His love and favor are unconditional uh, can cause us to really not partake in His love because we're just thinking that we can sin and His favor will still be there as well. Yeah. You know, with that. So yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and you gotta remember his love isn't unconditional in the fact that if you reject Jesus, you're going to hell. Yeah. His love was put out there and made available to all. Right. But not all receive of his love. I mean, he even goes even further to say, you know, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. Yet he says, I showed great mercy. To the one that was disdained, the one that I rejected, even though he was rejected by the Lord. And why was he rejected? Then it goes back to the question, why was he rejected? He chose to throw away his birthright for a single meal. To throw away what he was created to inherit. He threw it away for one single meal. One single act. He threw it all away. You know, the New Testament declares, don't be like Esau, who threw away his birthright for one single meal, who with much repentance and tears could not retain what he had already thrown away. That's a, that's a scary, that's one of the verses that are kind of scary. You know what I'm saying? It's like, whoo, that creates the fear of the Lord, doesn't it? It causes us to take pause and say, Lord, I don't want to throw away what you've given me. I don't want to devalue what you've promised and the opportunities that you've given me. I don't want to, I don't want to forsake you in those. I want to be trustworthy and faithful in doing what you said. And it says here, it says, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commandments. I'm telling you what, when your heart attitude is you take great delight and pleasure in doing what God says, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. You know why? Because you're going to be staying open to the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear His voice. You're going to, you're going to have that longing and desire. Your pleasure is going to be found in that place of intimacy with the Lord. But notice, what, where does that begin? That begins with what? Praising the Lord. Lifting Him up. And when you lift up the Lord, what does it do? Cause you to see him for what he really is. It creates the fear of the Lord in your heart. If, if we want to establish the fear of the Lord in our hearts, start exalting God all the time. Spend time exalting and lifting up his name in every situation all throughout the day. What's it going to do? It's going to begin to magnify the Lord. It's going to begin to make him huge in your heart and in your mind. It begins to put him where he actually should be. And what's going to begin to be the effect of that is the fear of the Lord will begin to be established in your life. It says, the next verse there, Psalms 103, 17, But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear Him, and His righteousness with their children's children. Listen to that. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with who? Those who fear Him. Oh, wait a second. Those that reverence, who honor, who obey, that's a condition right there, isn't it? You know, there is, there is, I'm glad you brought that up. There is a, 
a, de- a doctrine of devils that is floating around to disarm people from acting on the Lord and taking pleasure in His commands. It, it is, it's, it's found in that hyper grace movement, hyper love movement. And, and what it's, the purpose of it is to disconnect you from your place of responsibility of honoring the Lord, obeying the Lord, pursuing the Lord, you know, allowing, not only allowing Him to do those things in you, but you stepping out and doing the work that He's called you to do. It's to, it's to take away the law and create lawlessness. What does the Bible say? What is that? That's the spirit of Antichrist. It is literally the spirit that is anti the anointed one and his anointing. It's anti the Holy Spirit and its power at work in our lives. The spirit of lawlessness rejects the Holy Spirit's power and anointing for us to do the work. Because what's the anointing for? The anointing is literally put on you to do the work you were created to do. The anointing is not for you. It's put on you so that you can be a blessing in the earth. So that you can do the work of the kingdom in the earth. The anointing is not for your own pleasure. It's for you to serve and be a blessing to others. It's the power of God for you to do the impossible to manifest the kingdom of God. And yet, the spirit of Antichrist is anti that power. And the Bible, it, 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 it shows that that spirit is a spirit of lawlessness. I mean, I don't follow God. I don't obey God. I don't have to. There's no commands. Just do whatever. Live however. And there's no, there's no consequences for anything. It's all good. And that's where we see, we've seen the doctrines come up. And it's, it's not anything new. I mean, Paul and them dealt with this in the Scriptures. But then you have the doctrines, well, nobody's going to go to hell. Everybody will make it. Somebody will, you know, you got, you got what we call universalism here. I mean, we've had that for, for ages, you know, that began to take place at the very beginning. You know, and the, and the thought is this. The thought is, how could a loving God send anybody to hell? Yeah. How can a loving God send anybody to hell? And so, because I can't comprehend it, I reject Him. And, and, and the reason I reject Him is ultimately what that's, what that spirit is saying that has created that doctrine. It is to give an excuse for why I don't have to obey Him no more. Because the real issue is not why a loving God would send me. The real issue is me submitting to God and obeying Him. Because if you, if you really get down to the, to the, where the rubber meets the road. The problem is not with people declaring Jesus as the Savior. The problem is declaring Jesus as Lord. The problem is where I have to submit my life to Him and I just don't do whatever. You gotta remember the first command of the Satanic Bible is do as you will. You do as you will. In other words, whatever makes you happy, do it. In other words, you become the supreme master and authority over your life. You're the one who dictates what you want to do. And that is called the spirit of lawlessness. It is an antichrist spirit. This, and with it, the, you have these little doctrines of devils that co- come alongside to help cement that concept in our hearts that give us what we think is a legitimate excuse not to have to follow and obey God. Not to surrender our heart completely. Because let me tell you a secret. You cannot 
obey the will and purpose of God without first surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it even through yourself. You cannot fulfill the will and purpose of God without first submitting to the power and the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. Submitting to the power and the authority of the Spirit. Okay, and so Jesus came and died on the cross and He did two things. He dealt with the power of sin and destroyed it and opened the way for us to receive the power of God. Who can receive the Holy Spirit? Okay, everybody that chooses Jesus. Everybody who goes through the cross receives the cleansing of His blood and submits to His Lordship. They become, they become qualified to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The moment you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you are now qualified to now receive a power from another realm, from another age, from the Holy Spirit that empowers you to do the expressed will and purpose of God. You cannot do the will of God outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, What is the Antichrist spirit? Let's go back to that again. It is anti the anointed one and his anointing. It is anti-Holy Spirit. It is anti the power of the Holy Spirit at work. What did he say to the Pharisees? He, he, he basically said they were walking in an antichrist spirit. Why? Because they thought they could do it in their own reasoning, in their own power, in their own authority, through their own knowledge of the scriptures. He called them antichrist. Then he said, there'll be many antichrists that will come up. Then he describes what that spirit is. And ultimately, it is a spirit of lawlessness. Now, now let me make this clear. Lawlessness is not the absence of law. It's the absence of the power to fulfill that law. That's why you have the, the, on the religious side, you have the hypocrites, the Pharisees, they had all these laws, but they couldn't fulfill none of them. And Jesus rebuked them for it. He says, you give a, a tenth of your, of your spices and do this and do this, but then you don't, you don't even take care of your own parents. And he rebukes them because you're not fulfilling the law. And what was he doing? He wasn't rebuking them just because he wanted to give them add on more and more law. He was showing them that they were incapable of fulfilling the law without the power of the Spirit and without submitting through Him. So, lawlessness is not necessarily the absence of laws, although in our society, when you're outside of a religious spirit, that says, I can do whatever. Now, a religious spirit will cloak that and add all kinds of rules and stuff to be legalistic, have all these things you do, but it denies the power of God to do it. Paul said it this way, in the end times, people will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power of God. When, when we live in a place trying to fulfill what we think is the will and purpose of God without first surrendering to the power of His Spirit, then we live in a place of torment. We live in a place of never, ever being able to fulfill what we were created to fulfill. 
The moment we surrender, though, that's, why do you think he, he told them? You know, he told his disciples. Now they had been with him for three three years. You know, they had seen him. He had breathed on them. Told them to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he told them, he said, "Do not leave Jerusalem until you be filled with power." To do what? To be a witness. To be a witness of who Jesus is. To declare the kingdom of God. You don't leave until you're empowered. Now they had already received a power. To, to begin to produce fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, right? He'd already breathed on them. I mean, the moment you get born again, the Holy Spirit's there sealing your heart, right? Giving you the power over sin, right? But the power to do the works of the kingdom, they were doing it in some degree, right? But after he left, he said, oh, don't try to do this. But they were doing it in unison with him, weren't they? Right? He was doing it under his direct command with him right there near him. But when he left, he said, don't go out until you first be endued with power. And I think oftentimes as we step out to do things, not from a place of empowerment, we do things from a place of, oh, I can do this. And we've got to be in a place of surrender. Yes, you had a question? Uh What exactly is carrying in Jerusalem? I mean, you know, Kenneth uh, says, it's almost like he says, you do and you don't. Yeah, I was very confused at the end of the chapter. What is your take on that? Okay, the the tearing that he's referring to is a Pentecostal concept that was created back in the 30s and 40s that said we wait and wait and travail and pray and all this stuff until the Holy Spirit comes on. When When... When you had right before you had Azusa Street. Okay, so wait a minute. Let me just let me just just right there because it just maybe the light switch came on. Let me just ask this really quick. So you're saying that that was an evidence of speaking in tongues that he was referring to? In part, yes. But, and the power that you're speaking of is that you were speaking of before I asked you this is being strengthened by meditating on His Word and, and building your faith up and encouraging yourself in the Lord, tearing in Jerusalem, is that what you're saying? No. Okay. Let, me, let, me, let me see if I can make it clear. And, and maybe in the place of saying it, it'll clear it up with you. The, the meditating, in, like what we do, is to increase our faith. It's to increase our faith, not to increase our power. Our faith is is enabling us to receive and walk in His power. Okay, so it becomes when we walk in faith, what it does is it, it it connects us to walk in that power. What Jesus was saying, He said, He said, "Go and wait in Jerusalem until you be endued 
with power. Okay, this is the very first time that people get filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is momentous occasion. It's done on the day of Pentecost. The Lord is is very specific in how He did it. He did this on this day to fulfill the, the end of harvest. This is how harvest comes in. This is this is the, for you to be a witness in the earth to bring about the kingdom of God. Okay. Just like it says at the point in time Jesus showed up. Jesus could have showed up at any time. I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm like, he's totally confused. Okay, well, let me finish. He, he said Jesus could show up at any time, but at the appointed time, Jesus came. And at the appointed time, the Holy Spirit came. That was the initial coming of the Holy Spirit to fill the believer. After that, you see no scriptural evidence where anybody waited to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That was one instance where it was set for an appointed time for the Holy Spirit to come. Their waiting was not, or tarrying is not what made him come. He was coming on the day of Pentecost, period. He was coming on that day. He was coming at that time. Did they know, so they knew he was coming. They didn't know when he was coming. They just knew he had told him, you wait. He didn't give them the specific directions, but he said, you just wait for the Holy Spirit to come. But once the Holy Spirit was on the earth, what did you see then? You never saw... And that was the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. And then after okay. after his arrival, you didn't see anybody had to wait. And, and when I say Terry, it's talking about toiling in that place of struggle, in that place of, oh God, do it. Oh God, it's begging. It's that place. And that's what he's referring to. Like Par- Paragon and um, those guys that... that that were the predecessors to the Zoo Street Revival and John G. Lake and all them getting filled with the Holy Spirit. When he when he had he had this school that they studied the scriptures all about being filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And they prayed for two solid years before anybody filled, got filled with the Holy Spirit. They prayed day and night all the time. They were fasting all the time, studying, meditating on the scriptures. And then all of a sudden, one day, a couple of them got it. And the guy who went to Zoo Street, William somewhere didn't even get filled with the Holy Spirit during that time. He was sitting in another room because he was a black gentleman. At that time, they had to be segregated because of the law. And so he sat in a room with open door outside the other room with the other guys. And he listened, prayed just like them, you know, did all this stuff. And then when he went down to Azusa Street, he felt like from the Lord he was supposed to go. But he hadn't finished their time, his two years there in the school. And he went to, to the, the head guy and said, look, I feel like the Lord. And then the Lord, he said, go, I feel like it's the Lord too. And in going, he was declaring these truths. People started getting filled with the Holy Spirit around him. And he still hadn't spoke with evidence of, uh, with evidence of speaking in tongues. He hadn't been seen the evidence of, of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's sitting there going, what's going on? He's still, and then, then I think two or three weeks into the revival, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and what, but what this methodology came about was in order for you to get filled with the Holy Spirit, you gotta spend a lot of time in prayer, you gotta fast, you gotta wait on the Lord, sometimes it can take you years. Like there was this mindset, and what he's saying is, you don't have to wait to receive the Lord. Jesus made it clear, he said, if you being good fathers, when your child asks for a fish, you don't give him a, he's not gonna give you a wrong spirit, but the, 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 the purpose was, he's gonna give it to you. Ask and you receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. There was not that God was withholding anything from us, that He freely gives us the Holy Spirit to all that believe in Jesus. So He was combating a, a theology that had began to settle in the Pentecostal church that said in order for God to move, in order for you to receive the power of God, you have to do all this stuff in order to receive Him. When the scripturally speaking, the only requirement was for you to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you became qualified to receive the Holy Spirit. Because people have this mindset. Anytime we have a mindset that feels like i got to work for it, or i got to do certain things, or it's got to be this way, or we have things in us that resist it. 
But whenever we truly just set ourselves in a place just to receive and just say, yes, here I am, God. I mean, and, and, and we know, you, you know when you're in a place when you really are in a receptive place where you're just saying, yes, Lord, here I am, I receive it. There's a difference between that and, and just saying, I receive it, and you know there's still turmoil inside you. There's still mentalities or lies that you're believing. There's still things that are keeping you from fully receiving it. Yes? Now, yeah, growing up, you like to relate to this. It's like, um, it like there was never that initial... It was always people were so much focused on, let me, get, let me pray for someone to get in and speak in tongues uh-huh. instead of, let them be filled with the Spirit, and then the tongues flow out of that. Is that, you know, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, well, there was so much focus on trying to speak in tongues that a lot of times that blocked them from fully receiving. receiving. And because they were like, oh, well, nothing's happening. And so they would begin to resist mm-hmm. in that place because then they feel like they had to work it or they had to do something else or, or maybe because I didn't, I didn't initially do it, instead of just, like you said, just being that place of receiving and just letting Him fill you. Yeah. And then that flows naturally. Absolutely. I did that. I mean, I did that. I could, I got prayed for and I got prayed for and I got prayed for. And it was, it was probably about eight or nine months after I initially got prayed for, for being filled with the Holy Spirit. I wasn't thinking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. I won't have nobody pray for me about that. I was praying for another individual in that place of prayer. I was open to the moving of his spirit and all of a sudden it just began to flow out. I thought, Oh, well, there it is. It was like, Oh, it was, I mean, I prayed all night, all day. It was like something amazing happened. It was like, and then, then, it, then it dawned on me. I, mean, I got mad with myself. I was like, well, dude, I wasn't doing nothing there. Yeah. I mean, I was over here <laughs> trying to squeeze it out. You know, I was over there thinking I had to do this to do that. It was a mindset that was actually positioning me, actually resisting instead of fully receiving from the Lord. And so the, the tearing concept, that's what he was really trying to tear down, the fact that we don't have to tarry before the Lord. In other words, we don't have to str- struggle and toil and sh- before we receive those things. Now, there, he does mention that there is a place of tearing before the Lord and intercession. There's a place where um, you have to continue to declare the word, and, and it's a process of walking things out. He talks about that, and that there's a place. But initially, even in that place, you receive by faith the answer to your prayer, and you still are continue led by the Spirit to declare things as He says. You you stay in that place of of um, declaring things, but there also in that place you have to. Follow the leading of the Spirit. And that's really key. Uh, too, I mean, I know he's, t- he's talked a lot about, uh, especially in the first half of the book, about um, the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. Is that always the evidence? Yes. Really? Yes. yes. He goes into it. It's, he, it's really good. Yes. Oh, because I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I've just been around people who... I guess as soon as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, they would speak in tongues. And just because someone doesn't feel with the Holy, just because someone doesn't speak in tongues doesn't mean they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There can be a place of resistance in that. I believe, I absolutely, because I knew what the Lord did when I initially got prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I felt His presence. I sensed the moving of God inside of me. There was something remarkably different, but there was still something in me just, you know, trying to think I had to work something up or do something. And so I didn't fully engage the work that he was doing. It wasn't until months later in times of prayer and then finally realizing that in praying for someone else, just I was just yielding to the Holy Spirit in that place, just asking the Lord what to pray, how to do this, and it began to flow. I finally got in a place of fully re- yielding and receiving to him, and it just began to flow. Yeah. I, I have a 
Okay. This is a sidebar similar to the same thing, but I have a brain question. Um, and it goes back to all the scriptures that you've been reading to us on trust and fear. Uh, you know, I wrote down everything. Um, uh, you said just now that you set yourself in a place. Here I am, Lord, I'm receiving. Um, is that a good, and I'm not trying to get a method, I'm not trying to, you know, but to, um, knock down, I don't sit around and pray for myself. Sure. I, I can't even tell you, I don't even know that I've ever, I mean, I'm not being funny when I say this, I don't even think I've ever prayed for myself. I'm, I mean, I've, I pray for everybody else, but I don't, and, and like, I might say, Help me, Lord. Uh huh. If I, I mean, I, I just, but to sit there and sit myself down and say, um, to set myself in a place and say, here I am, Lord. I'm receiving everything that you have for me right here in this understanding of what I'm trying to get through, what I'm trying to get over. Is that a good? Position? Absolutely. Absolutely. Matter of fact, that's usually my approach to. Almost every prayer that I have before is I I get before the Lord, whether I'm preaching, ministering, or whether I'm just spending intimate time with the Lord. The I'm, talking about, I'm, I'm specifically talking about <coughs> climbing a mountain, getting over an issue. Okay, it, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, in that specific occasion, even more so. I I but as I come into to that place of just really getting before the Lord, I yield myself to say, Lord, here I am. I lay down my thoughts, my opinions, my ideas, what I think I know, what I, what I obviously don't know. I lay it all down, and I come to you and submit to you fully, and I position myself to receive wisdom, direction, guidance, power, strength, whatever I need. You know what I need. And I submit to your Lordship. Now, this is what's going on, but you're free to talk to me about whatever. And so even though I'm bringing this before you, I give you permission. You talk to me about whatever because you know better than I do. And so I yield to you. Huh? Oh, yeah, that's humility. And when you do that, he receives grace. And there are so many times that I have found that in the place where I have struggled to hear the Lord is because he started talking to me about something else or he was leading in a different direction than what I came specifically for prayer. And and after a period of time when I engaged him, I found out that what he was leading to was not necessarily different than what I was seeking. It's just there was other things in the way that were the reason why I couldn't hear the answer. And he was dealing with those first. Like, for example, um, I, I was praying about uh, a specific issue with one of the kids when I was a youth pastor. And um, I went before the Lord and I was talking to him about a situation that was going on, just asking for wisdom. And in that place, I mean, I didn't hear nothing. I remember sitting there for an hour or so in my office and just nothing. I mean, just the heavens were brass. It was like God wasn't talking to me. And I was just finally like, Lord, what's going on? And um, he just said, just open your Bible real quick. And I opened my Bible and um, he said, he told me a scripture. I turned to that scripture. It had nothing to do with that situation, that kid. And I'm like, I'm reading it. And um, and so, I, you know, I can get... 
pretty focused on something. You know what I'm saying? Pretty intense. And so I was like, Lord, but what is, you know, so I'm listening to what he's saying, but I'm, I'm trying to reference what he's saying back to my initial question. I mean, that may be the teacher in me. You know what I'm saying? I'm thinking, okay, I asked this question. You're talking to me about this. How does this relate to this? You ever had God talk to you about something? You're trying to put the two together? Like, how does that relate to this? And finally he told me, he said, shut up. And I was like, okay. He said, let that go. And I said, yes, sir. He said, now let me talk to you about this scripture. Let go of what you thought you needed to know at the moment. And let me talk to you about this. And I did. And for almost two or three hours, he began to pour over that specific scripture. And it was a place that he was transforming in me that needed to be changed before I could ever address something in that kid. Because if I would have went and dressed it without that place being transformed, I would have came with a wrong perspective and I would have dealt with it totally different. Even if he'd have given me, because he did later on tell me exactly what to do. But if he'd have gave me that, I would have gone without that part being transformed in my own heart and I would have still done it wrong. And he knew in order for me to get the answer that I was looking for and seeing that child transformed, that I first had to deal with the own thing in my own heart. But because of my own stubbornness of hanging on to my initial question and thinking he was responding to me and answering to that instead of just yielding it, saying, okay, Lord, here I am. He, I gave him freedom to talk to me about that subject for a period. He transformed me, did a work in my heart. And then within a week later, he talked to me about the other situation. I had to put it off for a while, and it was... You know, especially when things are pressing, it feels like it's, you got to deal with it. I mean, especially if you've got a parent calling you and things going on. It, it, a lot of people can put pressure on you, but let me, let me go ahead and deal with that. Listen, don't care what anybody says or do. They're not your Lord. you got to hear the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people will put urgency. Listen, Lazarus died. They came to him and Jesus said, okay. And he stayed there. They said, he's sick. You need to come see him. We need your help. And Jesus on purpose stayed and ministered to those other people for several days after that. Let him die and let him stay dead for a couple days before he showed up. Mary and Martha were perturbed. They said, Jesus, if you'd have showed up, our brother would not be dead. Jesus said, do you believe? If you'll believe and fear not. Do you believe the Son of Man has power to raise the dead? Oh, yes, we believe that in the re- on the day of resurrection, you'll raise everybody up. And that's why, what he asked. Do you believe the Son of Man has power right now in this situation? And they were struggling with that. Why were they struggling with that? Because they had already sent a prayer to Jesus, basically. They'd already sent a request. He didn't show up like they wanted him to, when he wanted him to. And she was carrying an offense in her heart towards it. If you'd have been here when he... When we sent for you, when, they, when I asked you the first time, if you just told me, we wouldn't be still going through this mess. And he on purpose stayed back. Not that the Lord withholds stuff, but there was stuff in them that had to be changed. And there was stuff in that community. And it was going to be, a t- God was doing something bigger than just them. And she couldn't see that at the time. She wasn't seeing that. She was, that was creating a testimony for la- of the power of Jesus to raise the dead for the entire nation of Israel so they could believe in the Son of God. God was looking at changing a nation and they were just thinking about their one little issue. She didn't trust him. Exactly. She didn't fully trust him in that place. She trusted him if he had come when she wanted him to. She trusted him if he was present. But outside, beyond what she could see, outside of his presence being right there at the moment, she didn't fully trust Exactly. And so he dealt with that. He did. You gotta remember, God's doing all kinds. He's doing more things than you can ever imagine all at once. 
You're praying for one specific thing and God is answering 50 million prayers all at once. He's doing, he's doing a thousand things out of your one prayer. You say, Oh God, do this. And he goes, Woo! She opened the door for me to have permission to come in. Let's work all over the place. And they, and he starts tearing all kinds of stuff down. He's doing multiple things and everybody all around you. And you gave him permission to come in. And oftentimes the disconnect, at least this is what I found in my own heart, in my own life. The disconnect is when I cannot adequately see the specific answer to the prayer I prayed and I disconnect from him because I, I, I feel like he disappointed me or it's not happening or whatever, you know? Always know God's with you. All these scriptures, he's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And that's how fear gets in. Fear gets in when I pray a prayer and something still doesn't change immediately. Or disappointment sets in when I had a hope. And it seems like it's being deferred. It seems like it's taking a long time for the reality of that good to come into my life. It gets, it feels like it's deferred. It feels, it makes the heart sick. It makes me go, ugh. Then what happens? People, they disconnect from that and attach it to that fear and that worry and that anxiety. We can't do that. We gotta stay in that place of trust. Stay in that place of union with Him. I trust you. Tell you, some of the hardest things in my life has been when the Lord said, I got this, and didn't tell me nothing about it. And I had to say, Okay, Lord, I trust you. Sometimes you're not in a position to know something. You're not in a position to know something. You just got to trust the Lord. Remember, remember the man that he came and got Jesus, his daughter was dying? Or was it son? I can't remember one of the son or a daughter, and and the, he was on the way, and um and a servant came and said, "You're it's okay. Don't don't worry the master any longer. Your child's dead." And Jesus turned to him immediately. He said, "If only you'll believe." He said, "Well, I believe. Help my unbelief." You know, he was like, "I believe, but oh my gosh, this this other information that's coming in yeah. is challenging my ability to trust you right now." He said, I believe what you're saying. I, I want to trust you, but help me in that place because there's still obviously a place where fear is trying to get in. It's causing me to want to separate. That, that whole point, that other word came in. What was, the, what was the goal? Don't worry the master any longer. Pull away from him. Leave him. Let it go. It's over. That's why I said at the very beginning of class, you got resurrection power inside you. Ultimately, the enemy says that thing is dead. If something's dead, it no longer has life in it. If it no longer has life in it, then why mess with it anymore? And all fear is rooted in the fear of death. That this thing will die, it will no longer be alive, and there's no more outcome to come out of this. And Jesus proved it to Mary and Martha and to the nation of Israel with Lazarus that even death cannot stand against the power of God. He proved it again when he himself was given the power to take up his own life. That after he was dead, he rose again. And he became life for every single one of us. I tell you, man, that, there, is so, there is so much goodness in that word right there. I mean, there is so much faith churning in this room, so much word being deposited in your heart out of just the things we talked about. For some something jump start you, I mean just ignite you. I love what he said there in um 
in I think it was in the in the chapter you were talking about where it tarries. He talks about the um, getting before the Lord and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. That it's he char- he charges you like a battery when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like you're actually getting charged. You ever had your battery start ooh start to die? I hope my battery my my thing doesn't die. But the um, your battery starts getting low, but he, you just plug in back, get plugged back in, and what happens? You get charged up again. I love that. You get filled up, and, and sometimes it feels like your faith is waning. And what does he say? He says, um, "If you, uh, the, the scripture escaped me all of a sudden, but it's." You'll reap if you don't faint. What's the beginning of that scripture? Don't, don't, um, don't be weary in doing good. Okay, yes. Um, don't be weary in doing good. That's not exactly how it says it. I've got five translations working through my brain at one time. <laughs> so the quote. Don't grow weary. Yeah. Don't grow weary in doing good. Faint not. Yeah, you're working. You're working two different translations too. <laughs> but the goal was, you will reap if you don't faint. You'll reap if you don't faint. Or let's not become weary and do good. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Okay, that's it. Say it again. Uh, yeah, I like. Uh, let's What's not get uh, Galatians six nine. Let us not uh, get tired in doing what is good. Uh, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest and blessing if we don't give up. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. At just the right time. God knows what He's doing. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. You don't have to be in fear. You don't have to be in worry. Don't let those things rob you of that place of intimacy with the Lord, of growing closer to Him, growing in faith. Don't let what's out here that's temporary and subject to change to change your heart and cause you to turn away from the greater one that lives in you. I love this scripture here in Romans 8.15. We talked about this some in, in a previous class, but I just want to read it again. It says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. And we talked about that in, the, in, the, in a couple classes ago, but man, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you afraid. You received what? The Holy Spirit. And what does that spirit say? It says, man, you're connected. You're in the family. It says He's your Father. It says you're loved. It says you're empowered. It says you have self-discipline. It says you have an inheritance. It says, whom should you be afraid of? Who can stand against you? Man, the Holy Spirit... He empowers you. He strengthens you. You're not a victim. You're victorious. You're an overcomer. You've been created to succeed. You're blessed and highly favored. Why do we sit back and waller in the lies of the enemy and allow that tormenting fear to dictate and rule our lives? Man, let's break it off right now. Let's do it. Right now, let's just go ahead and fall out of agreement with every spirit of fear, every spirit of anxiety, every work of darkness that's been lying to you. We just renounce it in Jesus' name. We fall out of agreement with that lying devil and all the lies the enemy has perpetrated against us, our days and countless 
up us in torment and in fear and in bondage. We reject it right now in Jesus' name. And we agree with what Jesus already said in His Word. He set us free and He brought us out and He delivered us from the spirit of fear. He does not give us the spirit of fear, but He gives us the spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. And we are the righteousness in Christ Jesus. We're made right with God. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The greater one lives in us. Who do we have to be afraid of? We are strong and courageous and bold and full of the kingdom of God. The world inside of us is bigger than the world around us because the kingdom dwells in us. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we serve Him. We're surrendered to Him. And His power lives and dwells in Him. Matter of fact, that same power that raised Him from the dead dwells on the inside of us. Even death can't stand in front of us because we have the greater one living in us. Lord, I just pray that out of these words that they would saturate our heart and faith would arise out of our mouths and it would saturate our thinking. It would transform how we live. We thank You for renewing our lives right now in Jesus' name and for the thread of fear that's been interwoven in our heart and lives. We declare it broken in Jesus' name, pulled out and removed in Jesus' name and we are bold as a lion. We're courageous. We lift up our voice with the words of God and we do not shrink back in fear from any man or any situation, but we ran full steam ahead in obedience to our Lord and Savior knowing we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit and He's with us and He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He will uphold us. He's our fortress. He's our stronghold. He, nobody can touch us. We're living in a bubble of security in God. And if anything does come, God says, I'll take what was meant for evil and turn it around for good. He said, and if anything that you suffer, he said, I'll use it to be a blessing to you. So even when the enemy tries to work, he has no power. Even when he does do things and we think he thinks he's got victory in any area, we just use it as a stepping stone to declare the goodness and power and might of our God. We just thank You, Lord, for removing every victim mentality and God bringing us into that that right perspective. We are victors in Christ Jesus. We are called to triumph in all things. We weren't called to lose, but to win in everything. God, let faith arise. Let faith arise. We've heard the words of promise from Your Word. We just declare that those would get deep, deep, deep in our hearts. And as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We just declare, Father, that these words would begin to roll out of our tongue. They would begin to come forth. And when we get into pressure situations where fear comes on all sides and tries to pressure us to bow to a spirit of fear and to join in unison with it, we just pray that the words of hope and life begin to flow out of our tongues and we would begin to release faith in the earth and that we would see the kingdom of God extended and established in the earth. God, just thank you for faith giants being formed in this room tonight. Enlarging hearts, enlarging minds with the promises and the power of Your Word. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Thank 
Lord says, not only am I removing the hooks the enemies had in you because of fear, but the enemy said, I had a barb on the end of that hook, and as I removed it, it's going to hurt, it's going to be painful, and it's going to create all kinds of tears. But I declare, says the Lord, as I pull it out, I'll bring healing to those areas. And what the enemy meant to destroy, what the enemy meant to cripple, what the enemy meant to be something that would be prolonged, to be open for infection for a later attack, I declare that I'm healing it. Not only am I delivering you of fear, but I'm also healing those areas of woundedness and injury and I'm causing it to be made whole so there can't be future infection down the road. Thank you, Lord. We just thank you, Lord. We just rejoice in the fact that you set us free from the power of fear and you're healing those places that have been affected by it and there will no longer be an infection or open places for that to come in. I thank you, Holy Spirit. You're sealing up those open doors and avenues where fear has come in the past, other places where doubt and unbelief were present, other places where, where we've believed other words besides your word. Father, we thank you that you've been sealing that up with your spirit and with the word of God. And it has replaced those places of worry and fear and doubt and unbelief. And you're filling them up with faith and trust and confidence in who you are and that you are with us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we make this declaration, God, we are with you. We're not going to run from you. We're not going to disconnect from you. But, God, we're running after you. We're going to pursue you. We're going to diligently pursue you. You're the object of our affection. You're the desire of our heart. You're the passion of our lives. You're what we long for. You're the reward, Jesus, to live and walk and have our being in you. God, we love you. We exalt you. We magnify you. The great God, King of the universe. We worship and magnify you, Jesus. We thank you so much for cleansing us, for purifying us, for setting us free. We thank you so much for filling us with courage and strength and power. We thank you for delivering us. We thank you for sonship. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If anybody else wants to pray anything out, you just feel something bubbling up in your spirit, just go ahead and feel free to declare that out loud. We'll say yes and amen with you. Thank you, Lord.
we'll live in, Father, that we can live in the same faith. No matter what comes our way, we can consider it joy. That's right. Father, the faith will be developed fully in us, Father, that we would be lacking nothing, and that we would know you as a Father, and we would approach you and ask you for wisdom, and that you would grant that to us, Father. Thank you for that, Jesus. That's good. Anyone else? All minds and hearts clear? It's good. Thank you, Lord. Everybody sets that just that cleansing in the air, that purity. That just just when he comes in, the word is rich. It's like water. It just, it just washes over you. It's so important every day we just spend time in the Word, and that's what it does. It just washes over you, man. It just washes over you, makes things... It, it, you know, when things are real dirty, it just affects how you look at life. You know, when the house is dirty, it just affects how you look at life. You know, when your car is dirty, I mean, I walk in my car, and I'm like, man, I need to wash this thing. <laughs> it affects how you look at life, you know. But when everything's clean, it's like something, it's like, whew, feels good. I can yeah, I can rest. I can now enter. I, I don't feel this thing haunting me. Like, it's still always there. Like, i got to tend to that when I get home. You know? Oh, it's done. That's what happens when you get in the Word, man. It just it just brings finality to stuff. Even if stuff isn't complete yet in the natural, when that Word gets in your heart, it just brings finality to stuff. Man, this is what God says, and He's the supreme authority over the universe. God said it. Man, what, what the heck am I worried about? Yeah, it's like wow. This confirmation thing to me, you know, because I'm on my way to church tonight. You know, I was just just thinking about the whole death thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what is there really to be afraid of? You know, living in Christ, He already defeated the grave. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it's really nothing to fear. But why do I still struggle with? It? You know, and, you know, I just begin to ask God, like, I really need you to help me in this area. You know, because, and like you said, come back to a trust issue. Because if you really trust, you know, then you wouldn't worry. I mean, then this this worry just overtaking fear. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just it's confirmation. It's good. The Holy Spirit, He knows what we need. And, and and really, I was praying. I was like, Lord, okay, where do we go tonight? Because I just really felt like he was wanting to talk more about receiving from the Lord. And he said, I need you to talk about this because this is limiting us from fully receiving from him. He says, you got to go here first. We've got to root this out. And I want to set them free in this area. And I'm telling you, as he talked to me about it, I mean, I even felt freedom taking place in my own life. Like the, the word just to even expose things in me, you know, of where, you know, sometimes you can know a word. But you can leave the revelation of that word behind, and you just know it in men, in you mentally assent to it only, you know. And just the freshness of that word again, the Lord re, re, recalibrating my heart and mind in agreement with that revelation just caused me to jerk the slack out in that those places and just be like, "Whoa, wait a second. Because you know, I found myself several times in the last several weeks just encountering. Not prolonged anxiety, but I'm talking in a moment, just anxiety, just out of nowhere. It was like, 
man, where does that come from? That's not my normal. But it was like, and then it would happen again. I thought, and it, and it wouldn't be over a specific situation. It just was kind of overall. I was like, Lord, what's going on there? And just, I felt it just today, even in reading, in reading the scriptures and going through and pouring over this stuff, just the Holy Spirit just doing that deep work. You get in the Word, I'm telling you, it's important that you get back in that Word and spend time in the Word daily. It does something in you. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit is so good. Amen. I need to, um, because if I know about this.